You're listening to The Sparty Cast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural uh, issue episode of the Sparty Lab podcast. I'm Dr. Rabindra Rattan. I'm excited to be joined here with Dr. Rachel Cowart, a prolific scholar of video game research, someone I've known for a long time. Rachel, you have a YouTube channel, and you'll be posting this as well there. I will, yes. Yeah. So if everyone wants to see our faces as well as our voices, they can they can check it out there. Nice. Um, I hate listening to podcasts where they delve too much into the social kind of banal uh, details of their lives. <laughs> but uh, like, can we just talk a little bit about our history? Do you remember the first time we met, Rachel? <clears throat> um, was it when we toured Valve? That wasn't the first time we met, but that's like my first like real good memory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd known each other from conferences and then Rachel, yeah. I think you noticed that I had someone on my LinkedIn who worked at Valve, Mike Ambender, who's a psychologist there. And you said, oh, we're going to be in Seattle for this conference. Should, should we go to Valve? And I thought, well, that's an awesome idea. So we did. They toured us. What was that tour like? I, I just remember lots of computers and metal. There were lots of computers, lots of monitors. We got swag bags. It was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah, that was great. It was uh, yeah. it was. I guess a perspective on the games industry you don't get often. Um, Mike yeah. Ambender being the first in-house video game psychologist. Uh, yeah. I don't know, are there more now? There must be more. There are more. Well, I know Valve has at least one other now. Um, and I believe other companies are hiring psychologists. That's what I hear through the grapevine. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a smart move, right? Because games are psychologically impactful mm -hmm. and engaging, uh, not just from a get more eyeballs perspective, but also yeah. maybe to monetize in different ways or to make games that are, are just better or more interesting or maybe better for people's health. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think the perspective of psychology in the game context is very valuable and you are clearly an expert. You've written multiple books and many articles. I'm so excited to be talking with you on this topic uh, today of gaming toxicity. So um, your article in Frontiers for Psychology came out this year and, or well, uh, final, okay, last year, thank goodness. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite recently. Um, just can you tell me a little bit about how you came to the work? What, what got you excited about this topic in, in kind of comparison to your history with games in general? Yeah, you know, I never had published before on toxicity in games, but I wrote a piece several years ago now. Oh my gosh, I was in Germany doing a postdoc. So this was like, I don't know, six, seven years ago about gamer identities and how we need to reclaim this idea of gamer identity because it's associated with toxic and, and negative behavior. And I found myself in 2020 on the internet more, I mean, pandemic, whatnot. Um, and seeing that the toxicity levels hadn't changed or maybe had increased. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wrote about this so long ago. How come there hasn't been a shift in the way in which, you know, these communities are, you know, engaging with each other and, and the maladaptive, toxic, disruptive behavior within them. So when I started kind of digging through, well, let's see what's been published recently. I realized we really needed an overarching theoretical piece to bring all this stuff together. Because there was an article here and an article there, and this one would talk about motivation, and this one would have a classification system of three behaviors, and then this one would have seven. And I was like, okay, we got to figure out how to put it all together so we can have a shared language and move forward in figuring out and solving, basically, uh, dark participation in games, which is the title of the article. So and I think yeah, that was my motivation. 
Yeah, dark participation in games kind of becomes the umbrella term instead of just toxicity, mm -hmm. which is maybe more narrow. Um, dark participation includes a, a wide range of behaviors that are not necessarily toxic as we traditionally refer to them, but certainly kind of within that that schema. Um, so, did you find it was it was easy to to discover your uh, your framework here, or did it take a while? Was there a lot of research to dig through? Yeah, there was quite a bit of research to dig through, but honestly, not that many taxonomies. Because what I wanted to do was find who's made taxonomies of what these behaviors are and make one big one was basically my goal and is basically what I do in the paper. But I found that I would say more than half the papers I saw just said, we measure toxic behavior in games and how they measured it, who knows? <laughs> what behaviors, who knows? They were a lot of general questions, just like, do you experience toxicity in games? And that's not a good way to operationalize, as you and I know as, as researchers, <laughs> what we're trying to measure. Um, so in the end, I think there was only maybe four or five papers um, that had actual listed behaviors like, you know, trash talking or doxing or whatever it might be. So I grabbed all those and I also kind of holds the community, like what would you consider, you know, behaviors that happen in games? And that's how the taxonomy was born. Great, that's great. Yeah, it's, um, it's good science you're doing here and uh, good shoulders to stand on. <laughs> A paper that, that I plan to use uh, in, into the future in my work oh, good. area. Um, but I think for, for this podcast, I think the biggest question that some people who tune in might be interested in is, well, what can we do? And your article has a, a section at the end on moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to assume that you remember everything in your article. I've got it up in front of me, but um, <laughs> uh, but, but just kind of ba based on your your best impressions. Yeah, what what do we yeah. do as a community or as individuals? Generally speaking, I like to say it's top up and bottom down. If we're going to combat toxicity, it's such a big thing to combat in games. We have to do it from both. So from top down would be industry-driven initiatives, things like better reporting tools, for example. But bottom up, there's this saying from Tanya DePass where she says, be the accomplice, which is rather than be you know, the advocate or be the wingman, be the accomplice, be an active participant in disturbing this behavior when you see it. And I do want to throw this question back at you because I know you published a paper in conjunction with Wired um, where you found that Black Lives Matter participants were more likely to combat toxic behavior in video games. And you found it around 20%, which was an improvement, right? And what we normally see on how often people actively engage. So the question here is how do we get people to actively engage and fight toxicity from the bottom up when we know from other research, like from Christy Cook from the New Jersey Institute of Technology, she's done work in this area, that people stepping up is very effective at reducing the behavior. Yeah, yeah, the upstander effect, right? Um, mm -hmm. As opposed to being a bystander. Bystander, yeah. Exactly, so that's really, that's I think the conclusion that I'm trying, I, that I focused on in that Wired article, mm -hmm. and I think it's the, best message to convey to the public. Like you said, mm -hmm. top-down games industry, they know this is an issue and they're working yeah. on it. And certainly lobbying is important in that regard. But from the mm -hmm. bottom up, um, I've seen some community initiatives, the, uh, the Raising Good Gamers Initiative, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is designed to kind of work with youth in the community and talk about creating norms for 
participation, non-toxic participation. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually, when I was reading through their materials, I didn't see as much focusing on upstanding. Um, mm -hmm. And and I guess we need to just get into the literature on bullying and, and online yeah. harassment, right? Like this is part of a larger issue of, of that type of behavior. So do you think there are, though, like maybe there's a, a, a bottom-down, top-up kind of compromise where can we create structures in our communities, either through the game companies or through social media that kind of reward or encourage upstanding? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, definitely. And I, I think definitely, I think there have been some efforts to create these kind of in-game structures, not from that perspective, but from like the punishment perspective, right? So like the tribunals, for instance, who was that? I think that was Riot Games who did the tribunals. Yeah, but we know from classic psychological research, right? Like that prisons aren't very good at rehabilitation, right? There's a lot of recidivism and that's because you're punishing the behavior versus, you know, providing rewards for good behavior. So I think that collaborations between the industry and academia, which I always push for, especially in game studies, because it's so important, could help develop these rewards or these, you know, little carrots on a stick that, that provides something for people who stand up to toxic behavior. And it's a win-win for everyone because I did a talk in early 2020 to a group of like 13 year old girls who love esports, and it was so great. But when it came to question and answer, they were talking about toxic behavior. And I was like, oh, well, you know, the first thing you should do is use the reporting tools, which is always my go-to first answer. And they all rolled their eyes and said, why would I do that? That doesn't work. And they broke me. It was so sad. And they were like, I won't play certain games because I know it's so toxic. And I would love to play that game, but I can't because I know how it'll be if I go in that environment. So it's really important. And I think it can be developed. I haven't yet seen it be developed, but I think, you know, the potential is there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great anecdote. Um, allow me to tangent for a moment to an argument yeah. that I've made in some, some other research and tell me what you think about it. Um, mm. So we've got this great evidence that, of course, games might have some negative effects. Um, violence and aggression is very minor, if at all, um, but over overuse is certainly a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but focusing on the positive side, we've got these amazing kind of motivational uh, spatial rotation skills, persistence mm -hmm. in challenges, et cetera, things that are related to success in career fields and STEM fields uh, in particular. And certain games are better than others, right? Games that involve fast paced kind of decision making, uh, puzzle solving, et cetera, are better than others. Mm -hmm. And often those games are, um, are toxic. And so mm -hmm. those 13 year old girls who aren't playing those games Mm -hmm. are in some ways deprived of um, of a an entertainment oriented yet still educational and enriching mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I argue that in some ways toxicity in gaming is a cause for gender disparity in career fields. Um, but <laughs> so this I have to say something. I have to say something. Please, Wait, tell me, tell me. I've never heard anyone say that, and I think it's brilliant. Yes. I 1000% agree with you. Okay. And I've, uh, I've how, never heard that. Before. How do we get evidence for it though? That's, that's the hard part. How do you get evidence for it? Well, I mean, I think the evidence the is there. I, I'll tell you what to do, Robbie. You want me to tell you what to do? You need to write Please. a theoretical paper drawing on previous research that shows that playing games can contribute to the development of STEM related skills, which we already know. Yeah. We know that toxic behavior disproportionately affects female players. 
Yep. There's paper. You're welcome. Yeah, but so so there's the paper. <laughs> now now let's throw that in yeah. a proposal. It's in a grant <laughs> yes, proposal. Sure. We made this argument. Um, I, I love this argument because I think it, yeah, it's a it great matters. argument. But then where do we like where do we get data? What empirical evidence for this argument uh, do you think we can come to? I think that what we need is an industry partner in which we can acquire chat logs and demonstrate how toxic behavior is impacting and ostracizing a specific group of players from these games that you mentioned are better than other games. So it would be like tapping into like the Minecrafts versus the League of Legends. But you know, and have a have a compare and a contrast because we know that some games are better than others, and we know that some games are more toxic than others, right? Some some environments. Yeah. Um, you have to have industry partners for any of this. I mean, it's a great idea, and I think that tying it to the bigger picture of STEM is really important. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, they hire a bunch of STEM people <laughs> to make the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, careers in the future. I went to this dinner super random at South by Southwest several years ago, and they were talking about the automation of jobs. The last jobs to be automated are going to be the STEM jobs. So it's very important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then I, I think, so I like what you're saying, uh, industry partnerships, uh, chat yeah. logs. Wow, if they give you those, uh, kudos on <laughs> getting through the lawyers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it can be anonymized. Here's the thing, though. I, I speak to many people in the industry. I've yet to get chat logs, um, but they can be anonymized mm -hmm. very easily. Like they don't need to be tied to any personal identifying information. Absolutely. But the progress that we could make in understanding how this behavior plays out in games and how this behavior impacts players or perhaps ostracizes them from certain communities is invaluable. You cannot get that information without collaborations from the industry. I agree. It's not I, agree. I think in addition to logs, it would be amazing to have some sort of longitudinal pre-post type design with surveys about motivations to pursue certain careers. Like let's say mm. we get them at age 12 um, right as they're entering that very formative gender identity stage. And then yeah. we check what games they play. I mean, pie in the sky, unlimited resources. We watch what they play for the next five years. And yeah. then say, what do you plan to major on as you're applying for college? Um, yeah. And even we could go even longer. That would be an amazing study. Uh, maybe we should write that grant together. You know, though, we could do that without industry partners if you went through the extra step of getting parental permission and you went through the schools. Because when you're tying it to STEM and, and long-term education plans, and we know that games are the number one source of, of media entertainment for pretty much all age groups up to 40, like everyone and below, it's important to see what role are games playing. And, and you could even ask questions about like what kind of games you're playing and, or how, are you avoiding certain kinds of games? And then, yeah, ask about their career choices um, through an educational perspective. So let, we can do that. Let's do that, Rafi. I'm, I'm Let's on board. do that. I, I've been thinking about that uh, ever since I started yeah. the, this journey with the toxicity article mm -hmm. with Wired. So, and you mentioned that, yeah, that that's really amazing. And you know Cecilia, the Nastio. I, I know her. She's awesome. <laughs> she does the games reporting. She's worked with you. Uh, she reached out to me about this question of whether toxicity was increasing due to the pandemic. Were people more frustrated? Mm -hmm. We threw together this survey. I think it was a first for her and maybe Wired. So it, it took a little while to get through the lawyers. And it, it turned out the hypotheses were not supported at all. 
but mm -hmm. coincidentally it was around the time of a lot of focus on black lives matter and so mm -hmm. like you mentioned people who said they supported black lives matter also reported being more willing to stand up against toxicity in gaming but it's still so there's a strong correlation there mm -hmm. but at the same time the the average was higher for supporting black lives matter than saying you stand up against toxicity mm -hmm. in gaming why is it easier to stand up for black lives matter than toxicity in gaming maybe let, and let maybe jump into some theory here we're doing theory last as opposed to first. <laughs> as opposed to first it's it's supposed to be the foundation robbie um, it is i know exactly but for podcasting I mean, yeah what do you think it can be backwards i mean i gotta say i'm putting all my eggs in the basket of bystander effect there's okay. so many other people present. For those who don't know, bystander effect is the idea that individuals are less likely to engage and offer help if there are other people around. So if you're in a space in which you see somebody negatively harassing somebody else in a game and you don't necessarily know that person, you're just going to ride on by on your mount and, and be on your way because it's it's not impacting you and you figure there's, there's other people present. I think the other issue too um, which I wanted to bring up with you because I'm interested in your thoughts. <clears throat> we talk a lot about dark participation and, and toxicity as kind of like this amorphous blob, right? But there is such a spectrum. So if I see somebody trash talking, I might interpret that as they know each other and they're having a good time or they're just giving each other, you know, haha, like little elbows or whatever, versus, you know, actually witnessing and seeing harassment. And I conducted a study recently, it's not yet published, but the, the amount of people who see the more extreme spectrum is much lower, right? It's like two, 3% are maybe witnessing this kind of behavior versus like 50% is witnessing trash talking. So it's also kind of blurry, like, where do you draw the line? Like, I didn't say anything when I saw this other guy being like, you're a jerk and I didn't capture the flag because you suck. And then you see something maybe like hate speech or discriminatory speech or racially based hate speech. Like, well, I didn't say anything before, so maybe I'm not going to say anything now. And I don't know these people, and there's other people around, so. Mm, okay, so right, that's a lot. That's a lot of elements there. But. There, there are many elements. Yeah. So there's yeah. the bystander effect. There's a large crowd. You feel like your voice doesn't matter. Uh, at the same time, there's kind of a consistency effect if you didn't say something yeah. previously. Um, now, thinking about those two things in the context of of a movement like Black Lives Matter. Of course, it's not as recent in the zeitgeist <laughs> in some ways now it's it seems like there's more conflict as opposed to now other things are burning down too <laughs> exactly. but yes uh it's a different different protest movement we're focused yeah. on um but the bystander effect with black lives matter maybe maybe was overshadowed by the crowd temperature like it, like so many people were involved so it felt more like a cultural movement that you should be a part of yes yes i would say too that's a very good point it was and is remains uh, a cultural movement of course and and it's hard to ignore the facts <laughs> that drive uh that movement and i think also too there's something to be said about the difference between real life violence and crime and murder of people as compared to verbally based online witnessing of experiences, right? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah. The, the micro to the macro in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so then it's not surprising. I mean, making, making yeah. anti-toxicity a cultural movement at this point, from my perspective, seems like a difficult challenge, right? It's embedded. It's that ingrained. 
Yeah. I mean, I have read a commentary from um, some researchers in the field whose names elude me at the moment, saying that it's been so long, it's part of it's part of gamer culture now. Like, oh, gamer culture, oh, it's toxic. Like, it's just dismissed at this point. But we will not give up. We, so, no. So here's, we will here's what I think. Once we do this study where we have the empirical evidence and we say upstanding is the way to solve this, and we've yes. got all these reasons that it's a problem and it's persisting, then can we take the empirical evidence to a legislative body? and say, we need, I mean, there are already potential uh, legislation in the works for social media to reduce bullying mm -hmm. and kind of mm. encourage more productive conversations there. So yeah. can we take this type of evidence to uh, Congress? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, like you said, to, to pull the foundation from what we know about social media and cyberbullying, because we also know that games are a unique social cultural environment and, and should have their own specific attention put on them like it's important that the research is specified around game and gaming cultures because it's so different but yeah i mean i don't see why not we'll have a conversation about social media regulation you also have a conversation about games i mean if we want to do a little brain picking of, of my brain i've been thinking a lot about alt-right recruitment in games mm. and so that's a whole separate thing right so if that's happening in games in a way as a special ecosystem it's also happening on social media, but in different ways. So it's like these things need to be treated as separate, but similar, right? Will it freak people out? Will it make people nervous or scared to have regulations that kind of limit or not necessarily censor, but, um, but surveil a speech in? Sure. Game? Of course. People won't even wear a mask at the grocery store, Robbie. I mean, come on. <laughs> People are, of course, but I, I think there's ways of doing it. There's automated processes that can be developed and put in place. So it's not like, it's not like I joke that my Google home is always listening to me. I, I mean, I guess it is technically always listening to me, waiting for me to say like the keywords, but it's not like always on. I feel like it'd be like the same kind of thing. Like it's only going to regulate you if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think that's, that's a good note to come to a close on podcasts are terrible and they're too long uh, so <laughs> I agree. To that in this party <laughs> cast, but anyway, thank you so much. Before we close out though, we have two wonderful research assistants here, George McNeil and Connor Bird. Do you guys have any questions for Dr. Tower? Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, so my girlfriend and I actually have just been listening in and we were talking about uh, the styles of games that really facilitate these types of behaviors, which you both mm. uh, briefly touched upon. And I mentioned that, uh, yeah, I've seen it more in competitive games um, mm. and very rarely in cooperative type games. But I, I was wondering if either of you know any sort of further distinction beyond that, like like if it's if it's a larger scale competitive game versus maybe a smaller team compete against one another, like where you mm. might see that sort of toxic behavior arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen in the research literature, like you mentioned that distinction between competitive versus cooperative. So there tends to be more toxicity in competitive games. But again, if you look at the spectrum, it tends to be more like trash talking, for instance, in competitive games. And often and I'm not your own teammates. So the people you're supposed to be yes. cooperating with. Yes, uh, exactly. More toxicity there than there actually is against the Then between the teams. That's very true. See, but this is why you need more research with industry partners, because I'm really curious whether if you have a really competitive game like League of Legends and a really cooperative game like Stardew Valley, it's multiplayer now, 
is the proportion of the more extreme versions of dark participation the same across? Because that's what I'd be curious, because I've only ever seen in comparing, talking about trash talking and the more kind of like mild behaviors. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think game type matters. One thing to consider is the way in which you compete or cooperate. Mm -hmm. So Animal Crossing, um, and I forget the other game that Andrew Shabilsky from the Oxford Internet Institute. Plans for Zombies. Oh, I just yeah. read that paper again the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the, the kind of headline grabbing takeaway is that the more you play, the better your mental health during the pandemic. Uh, but he chose these two games that are, that are especially Animal Crossing, is um, very restrictive over who you can interact with. And because mm -hmm. of that, I, I read this in, uh, I think, the ADL report. Because of that, the toxicity is essentially squelched, right? You, you don't have uh, interactions between people who don't have a shadow of the future, right? Reputation mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. and of course, the activities aren't very violent or, or aggressive either. So mm -hmm. for that reason, it makes sense that they found um, the more you play uh, associated with more mm -hmm. mental well-being. But, um, but in other games, that might not be the case. So George, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. It is a really good question. And I'd love to see that replicated among, yeah, like more competitive. I mean, there's also sublimation effects. We could also see the same, like playing more League of Legends could be good for your well-being, um, but just for different reasons, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I would expect that too. Yeah. <laughs> but it could, be, it could be better and worse depending on- Right, it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of some of the statistics from these reports have, that after exposure to, to toxic counters, people have suicidal thoughts. And it's like one to two percent. It's a small percent, but you know, a lot of people who play games, right? So, or, yeah. or experience major depression because of it. That's that's yeah. a really uh, heinous outcome of gaming. It is sad. It is. Connor, do you have a question? Um, here, I think I might just have one quick question. So again, I guess I'm just curious. Maybe um, I have maybe like the toxicity, maybe unless less like actually competitive or games playing with other people, but like the discussion around games or the communities that arise, like, is that mm -hmm. any similarities or differences with the toxicity in that? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't think off the top of my head of a study that's looked at that, but I imagine they would be like discord groups would be equally toxic as like actual in-game chat. Have you seen something about that, Robbie? No, I had, that's a great question. Don't it's read, a great question. Yeah, it, Research like, project. Don't read the you. comments, um, but yeah, they're yeah. all comments. <laughs> I would expect in some ways, so it's, you're talking like meta game type of discussions, right, Connor? Um, but, well, I mean, some Reddit forums, kind of. Definitely 4chan, if you're talking about games. Oh, don't go on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably Reddit too. That That's a, that's a, that's, the topic no one studied yet, Connor. So if you're yeah. interested in that, you can poke around. Here at the Sparty Lab, the social and psychological approaches to research on technology and interactive environments. Anyway, uh, Dr. Coward, Rachel, so nice to chat with you on this topic. Really appreciate it. Your energy is excellent. Um, I'm glad that we both kind of got a little formal <laughs> during I know. pandemic. I uh, brushed my hair for you in quarantine, Robbie. That's a big deal. <laughs> Thank you so much, and I'm happy to continue the conversation through whatever, maybe a grant proposal is a good, good outlet. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye. I'm sorry.